You've Found Rebirth, a podcast to inspire your emergence. I'm Kate Brenton, your guide here, as we listen to stories of women saving lives by living their own, stories of intuitive courage and empowered living. Today's episode is with Maya Toll, who's the author of the best-selling and award-winning Wild Wisdom series, including the Illustrated Herbiary, the Illustrated Beastery, and the Illustrated Crystallary, along with the Wild Wisdom Companion. The seeds for this series were planted when Maya apprenticed with a traditional healer in Ireland, where she spent extensive time studying the growing cycles of plants, the alchemy of medicine making, and the psycho-spiritual aspects of healing. Maya's books build on this foundation, eloquently translating patterns and metaphors from the natural world to help modern seekers understand and grow within their own lives. To learn more, you can go to mayatoll.com. We're so happy to have you here today and remind you that as we journey with Maya's story, that although we are all unique, we're not alone. And stories remind us of this and of the golden thread that connects all of us especially when we're reminded of our place in the interconnection of nature. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rebirth. Hi, Maya. Hi, Kate. How are you today? <laughs> I'm so glad to be here with you. I am too, and I, I <laughs> need to not make every podcast about my personal history, but... I have two things I want you to know that I hold with you pop up every time and it is whenever I pick nettle you are officially the person (laughs) that taught me you know respect nettle and she'll respect you you know and I I can hear I can hear you teach us um, how to approach a plant that has much to give and the boundaries to hold it Mm. and not so much. I mean, I don't really, this one is looser, but when I think when I hear your voice and I, ha- I haven't heard it for a while, I think of getting, so I, I studied with, with Maya for a year and I remember purposely getting to um, the herbiary, but it wasn't the herbiary exactly at that moment. Um, and because I wanted it to be the one that made the tea. I really <laughs> loved having access to all of those friends and um, being able to pick the one. So I, I really appreciate the, the, the giddy and appropriate student-like part of that that I still get to um, thank you for. So I'm glad you're yeah. here. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. And, you know, it's so, it's so interesting what we all remember because for me, what I remember is when you came back from Hawaii and mm. you um, came to the the teaching space and did a talk on leaping mm-hmm. and the net will appear and talked about your your journey to Hawaii and what had happened there. Um, Thank you know yeah you also birthed that return so this is this is a great place to just drop in and if you're like I feel like I'm in the middle of a conversation dear listener you are and just you are you are (laughs) just you know sip your tea I I remember in the pivoting of teaching and this is so fascinating um I was in your course and I moved and you the way you taught, you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with you, you know, going to long distance, but I feel like you need to work with the herbs there. And I feel like, I guess that would make, um, 
no surprise that you were also the bridge to bring the work back to Philadelphia because there was such an honoring and a trust. Something we have in, in, in common is we've, we've taught in different modalities, right? We'll just state until we do your reader's digest, that we'll just state that. We've taught in a lot of different environments and teachers who trust their students really hold a different space. So it wasn't like you were, um, you were trusting in, and that was the invitation, right? That's really the, the ways of wild medicine is that you, you want the person to be empowered where they are with the medicine that's around them, as opposed to, it's great to learn about so many things, but who's there right now, right? Who, who's in your backyard? And so, um, and then you invited and I, and I did, I did the talk of leap. And then I actually offered um, whole, the healing sessions out of your space, which was such an interesting turn of the spiral. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's nothing I love more as a teacher mm-hmm. than watching my students become teachers and leaders themselves, which is interesting because my teacher, I remember her saying that one of her like greatest sadnesses was that none of her students had become teachers. And I don't know if I was the first, mm-hmm. um, but I do know that a number of her students have now become teachers, but I, I remember her saying that to me. So let's orient the listener into our, <laughs> our private conversation. Where do you reside now, Maya? You are living in Asheville, Asheville. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you talk to us a little, you, and you have the herbiary. Give us, a, give us a little bit about what your, what the herbiary was for you when you left Philadelphia and transitioned to Asheville. I guess that's more of a, a leap question, but can you orient yeah. us a little bit? Mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting. Okay. So um, when I left Philadelphia, we had two stores uh, called Herbiary, one in a place called Reading Terminal Market and the other in an area of town called Chestnut Hill. And we closed the Chestnut Hill location and we moved it to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, at that point, I was already fairly distant from the everyday workings of the shop. I was doing a lot of teaching online Mm -hmm. um, and my partner and life partner and business partner um, was running the stores every day. I was kind of like the, you know, technically the CEO Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, holding the the larger vision and, and keeping things together. So this is an interesting little twist of events that you don't know about, which is about three months ago, um, I gave Herbiary hook, line and sinker to my partner. Oh, interesting. No, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had been very disengaged from the daily for, for a long time. And during um, COVID, I came back in because I understood the online world mm-hmm. much better than he did. And, you know, we, we needed that to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back in and I, I CEO'd my ass off for <laughs> a year. <laughs> um, and, and then earlier this year, uh, Andrew wanted to move to a bigger space in Reading Terminal Market. And that's going to be opening in just a few weeks. Oh, that's exciting. Um, yeah. And I just said, you know, this is your dream, not mine. Mm-hmm. And so, like, 
how about it? How about you just take, how- take, take this over and do this your way for a while? So let's draw back into the herbiary. Obviously, and you know, you're, you work with herbalism, but that wasn't your, you didn't roll out in that. So talk to us about how the journey, who you, you alluded to your teacher. Um, and I remember a little bit about a Google. I remember how Google <laughs> worked into that. And I think that's a really beautiful aspect to include because you talk about balancing intuition with the intellect. And I think that your story of the Google search, um, if you don't mind endearing us with it, I would appreciate. Yeah. So, okay, take us <laughs> on your initial journey. <laughs> well, I, what's, what's fascinating about this to me is Google did not exist when this happened. So we were like pre-Google search engines. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I had a very lucky twist of events when I was in my early 30s. Um, I owned a home in a town on the Hudson River in New York. And one of the big New York City museums decided to open an outpost there. And so my home, which I had bought, I think, for Mm $87,000, like this old falling down Victorian house, and I'd been repairing it myself for for three years, um, suddenly tripled in value. And I was an elementary school teacher. Um, You know, that kind of windfall was was crazy for me and so I said to myself okay you got a year off you got a year sabbatical you can do whatever you want the only rule that I made for myself was that I had to save enough money for the next house that I couldn't spend down to zero but besides that I had no rules and um I had a moment where I was like oh wow Nature abhors a vacuum and I'm creating Mm -hmm. a very large vacuum right in the center of my life. And I think I need to uh, begin to put some shape and structure on this, or it could be, you know, not what I want. Sure. So I started making uh, a list of everything I'd ever been interested in, everything Mm -hmm. that never had time and space in my life. And that list was extensive, Um, you know, pottery, weaving, a lot of a lot of kind of artsy things on there, but also um, archaeology, photography, you know, a vast array of, of things to explore in the world. Um, and then I got kind of stuck. And then one night I had a dream. And in my dream, a very androgynous woman um, took me by the hand and she flew me over the ocean. And I knew the place that we came to was Ireland. It was wooded. Ireland is no longer wooded. It used to be. Um, But we came to this place that was Ireland. And she said, this is where you'll be initiated. Come here and study the birds. And so the next morning I woke up and this was pre-Google. So Mm -hmm. I think it was Alta Vista, I think was the search engine I was using. Right. And um, I just started putting into the search engine. Ireland plus, and then I went down my list, Ireland plus pottery, Ireland plus archaeology, Ireland plus, Ireland plus. And um, one of the things on the list was herbalism. And uh, when I put in Ireland plus herbalism, one very specific website showed up. I mean, the nice thing about these early search engines was it was like pre-Google. There wasn't 100 pages of search That's answers. really true. I just remember you putting 
um, the two words together, but that is true. It's not like you had to get 10 pages in to find something that was special, right? If you had a combination, something really magical could, could, you know, what was the WW web crawler? Yeah, no, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was, there, there was less options, Mm -hmm. which in this case was great. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, people say to me, how did you get a live in internship? And the truth is I, like, I didn't, not from the internet, not from that distance. Well, the word get is very telling because that's not how apprenticeships work. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. No. So I um, signed up for a two-month program with her. I made a commitment to, to just go over and, and learn and be there. And, and your teacher's to- name? Um, um, you know, it's really okay. interesting. In the beginning, I shared her name all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of slowed down on that because mm. how do I say this? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was a point of respect to always share her name. Mm-hmm. This is my teacher. In fact, you probably remember I used to recite kind of my mm-hmm. lineage of teacher. Um, as I have written books and gotten Instagram following and think, you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. kind of like larger circle. Mm-hmm. Um, it has become something I've shared less and less in public spaces because it feels respectful not to put her in the deluge of people who are seeking and wanting and, um, reaching. I, I don't want her in that energy of people reaching for her energy. If that makes any sense. It does. Um, you know, when it was eight people or 10 people or 20 people who might go look her up, who might decide to drop her an email. Um, I felt like that was respectful. And now that it's 20,000, 30,000 more, it, I feel the opposite. Mm-hmm. That's a protocol. Yes, it's a a protocol that it's not very common in in modern times. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you went. mm -hmm. So So I went to Ireland, mm -hmm. and after about six weeks of studying with her, I begged her to keep me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and and she did, and you know, it it wasn't easy. Like I think people romanticize things like this. I was living. Uh, on a, a farm called a stud um, in the middle of nowhere, Ireland, without a car. Uh, this was before our cell phones easily connected up internationally. So in very little contact with my friends, my, you know, my people at home. Um, and I had a, a very limited life there, which was brilliant for what I was studying, because I didn't have human beings that I could turn to. I, I turned to the world around me. I turned to the plants. I turned to the animals. I talked to the stones. Um, those, those were my companions. Mm-hmm. And that might not have happened so smoothly and easily had I had human companions. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a little bit of insight um, for those trying to imagine 
because I, I think actually the idea of apprenticeships are reemerging. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about like the, da- the daily, because um, not so much in specific to your teacher, but I remember you saying like, you know, gathering the bottles. Like, can you give a little bit of an insight of just what is an, what is that apprenticeship? What does that look like? What yeah. does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my favorite images is my teacher would, oftentimes appear in the morning, you know, in her bathrobe, cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Um, And she'd give me my assignment for the day. She'd hand me a giant basket and say, go collect elderberries. That smoker's voice, go collect elderberries. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, um, there there was a lot of doing as opposed to sitting around thinking. Go collect Mm -hmm. elderberries. Now come home and it's called garbling when you, when you sort them, you know, pulling off the stem and uh, separating it from the berries. Um, then they need to be put on trays to dry. You know, um, things that had been put on trays a few days before need to be transferred into mason jars. Uh, you know, different medicines need to be stirred, turned upside down, shaken. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of making and prepping mm-hmm. um, it was, it was more about doing than about reading or thinking or contemplating. A different style of learning. Yeah, absolutely. A very somatic style of learning. You know, my teacher would love to do things like pull a hundred bottles of essential oils out of the cabinet, take off all the caps and, and mix them all up and then say, okay, put the right caps back on the bottles. Oh, really? Oh, that's fun. <laughs> What a great way to create intimacy. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What a great way to, to learn to trust senses you don't often use. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, now literally follow your nose for the next couple of hours. Yeah, because the word intimacy, often people think it's about the other. Right? And, yeah. and like you started, you said you turned to the plants and the animals and, and those are conversations. Um, yeah, I don't want to put meaning on your story, but it, it's it's a really it's really beautiful sometimes how what I'm hearing uh, is the the profound that's in the simple. You know, we're like, okay, to do this thing, there has to be the perfect thing, and I have to go do all these. And it's like, you know, somebody could say, well, that's a sorting exercise, right? <laughs> but there's a lot to it, right? That's that's wisdom, right? There's, that she doesn't need to construct for for your learning. It's just, it's just ever present. It's um, beautiful. So you were there and you were studying. And then how do you transition from, because really, you know, this wasn't, this was a path that came to you, right? In, in the dream world. So a destiny moment, maybe. And then how do you transition from this intimacy of, of learning yourself, but then also being in, in, in the cloak of the teacher and then leaving? The leaving, I mean, the leaving was, the leaving was easy, but well, the leaving wasn't easy. The, the staying was hard and the leaving was hard both. Um, you know, I, I think that we all have different ways of getting kicked out of the nest. Sure. Um, mine in this particular instance was, was not graceful. Um, my teacher and I ended up at odds over, over a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just became an uncomfortable situation. I was living in her home, um, 
And, you know, we had a couple different places where there was a lot of friction. So, um, you know, and, and interestingly, just kind of thinking back to her comment that her students didn't become teachers themselves. Um, there were there was some, how do I say this? There was a larger kind of society culture that we were a part of. And the more I found my own place in that culture and that society, not as her wingman, but as a separate unit, sure. the more uncomfortable she became. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that it's very similar, I think, to a child going off to college. The more you have self-identity as opposed to being your parent's child, um, the harder it is to live under the same roof. Yeah, I mean, there's humanity in every corner of life. So even if there is a glorious relationship, I'll just use that term very purposefully vague, right? There's still humanity. So therefore there is still imperfection and friction, such as the, and so I appreciate you sharing that. And it doesn't have to be more or less than what you, yes. So you, there was a, I'll use the word transition. I don't want to put words on your journey. The next step. <laughs> the next step. <laughs> then, and, you know, and, and the truth is, I had, I had signed on to stay with her for um, a year total kind uh-huh. of from the, the initial going over for two months. Um, so I left a little bit early, but, you know, it was, it was getting to be that time anyway. Sure. And um, I, when I moved back to the States, I had started dating Andrew, who's now my partner, um, when I had been visiting my parents over vacation, I had met him. Mm. And so he was in Philadelphia. And um, I, I later learned it was going to take a shoehorn to get him out of there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I had known that in the beginning, things might have gone down differently. Um, but I, I moved to Philadelphia, you know, to be closer to him so that we could pick up where we'd left off. And um, I thought at first that I would go back to teaching elementary school. Like this was kind of a sabbatical, a little time out of time. Um, but I found that it had rooted very deeply in me and like there was no going back. <laughs> there was only forward and, and forward was different than, than what, you know, I would have thought before I, before I went to Ireland. So um, I started teaching what I learned I also started seeing clients like working, you know, kind of in the field of medicinal herbalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew said, why don't you, you know, open a little place on the street, like something, something to give you street presence so that you can find your people and they can find you. Um, and so that was the first herbiary, which was a tiny little space. I don't, I don't think I knew you then. It was only seven feet wide by 14 feet long. And, and there was a bathroom in there. Um, it was a tiny, tiny little space and we outgrew it in nine months, Mm. um, and moved to a larger space, uh, in Chestnut Hill. And, um, and that was the beginning of the store, but you know, I was never like shopkeeping was, was never my goal. It was, it was kind of, um, a front. Sure. Sure. It was, it was a, it was a portal. It was a space to come in to then continue the conversation. 
um, whatever yes. that conversation. That's how I saw it. That's why I bring up the name for those that knew it. I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but you know, I, I took like a cordial making class and I went with some friends and it was like, there was this big long table and I was learning things and it was, it was fun. Right. That's why I was like, I want to learn more about this. Like I don't see myself on the path to herbalism as my leading foot, you know, but I, I really liked slowing down and, and learning that. And I'm, I'm, imposing here but learning um that I just needed to learn a few good friends I just needed to learn you know I liked I liked playing with essential oils I liked making everybody salts and scrubs for Christmas you know (laughs) I wasn't looking to change the world with it but I liked the tactile learning I liked the slowing down and it was one of my doorways of walking through out of traditional understanding of the body to where I would head so and and I liked the idea of um you know, make friends with where you go, meaning the plants. And it, it just kind of, so I, I would like, I think that's also, you know, I laugh at like in 2020, everyone started baking bread. And like, I think a whole bunch of people learned a little bit more about herbs too. And you don't have to drop that. Like, you, you know, simply like kind of looking up at the texture of the environment where you are, you might think, well, well, Kate, you know, that's not really exciting. Well, it's not exciting to you because you pass that plant every day, you know, leave town and you think, you know, a, a, a weed and what, well, that's a whole other conversation. I won't name anything <laughs> weeds, but like something that you consider plain in your neighborhood, somebody else would consider exotic. And I just yeah. liked that beginning of that conversation and how it, it through the herbiary, which I'm kind of using as like kind of, you know, if I say Philadelphia, like Philadelphia isn't one place to me, the herbiary was sort of like a, the place where there was a body of wisdom moving through it. And um, there was, I met really neat people. And I met, uh, I, I had a lot of really great experiences with clients. And it was a space that was held. Um, and not all places that sell herbs, I'm going to say it that way, not all places where you can get tea feel like places of wisdom. And I think that's the distinction I'm, I'm efforting to give to the herbiary, right? There were a lot of things happening there. Mm -hmm. So someone, and this is very common on, on rebirth and maybe it's just something that I like to bring up, you know, everything was going well. So why did you leave? You know, like, (laughs) I think there's a big thing in our culture where it's like, well, you, you know, you did the big thing. So why did you move it? And then you might say, well, you did the big thing. So why are you writing book? You know, and I'm saying it sarcastically, but I really would like to hear about what turned, you know, we, we went to Asheville because I want to talk about your, your writing career beginning, you know, and, and talk. So wherever you want to pick us up to bring us into talking about your books and, and that inspiration and, and whatever feels yeah. because, yeah, because you also yeah. talk, talk about, um, letting go, right, to make space for the new. And so in a lot of your story, there's this arrival, you know, there's this effort. I like, I like the word effort, because even when something comes innately, their life is waiting for the effort to be met, right? Absolutely. So there's, there's effort and grace, and then there's a letting go, and then there's this new thing. So take us on another spiral, you know, turn of the spiral. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think just, I, I think that the greatest thing that I learned in my time in Ireland is that there is a seed planted and then it grows and then it, you know, it blooms, it fruits Mm. and then it dies back and you wait for the next cycle. And that happens every moon cycle, every sun cycle, every, you know, every year the plants do that. Um, So this paying attention to the cycles and stepping out of 
what I think of as kind of the modern perception of time, which is the timeline mm-hmm. you learn in school where, you know, everything happens in a linear progression, always mm-hmm. moving forward onto the spiral. Can you talk a little bit about, and I know it'd be different. Um, and I want to insert here. What are some of the, the tenors or textures when you know something is going from blooming to dying out? Because I think that's the, you know, blossoming is really fun. Yep. Planting's really fun. <laughs> yeah, we seem to have an aversion to the fallow. <laughs> oh my God, it's my favorite. Okay, so you know, I, here's here's what I know in my own body. Mm-hmm. There's a point where the energy goes out of something, mm-hmm. where instead of of being like you're waking up and you're like, I can't wait to do this thing. I can't wait to see this person. I can't wait. You get to, eh, and then from eh, you get to do I have to. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's a, an upwelling of energy when you're in that I can't wait phase. There's that kind of like, yes. And you can feel it. Like you can feel it moving up your legs and moving through your hips. And, you know, it's an upwelling. Um, but there's also an ebbing. And I would say if you're making excuses, if you're scared, if you're anxious, if you are angry for no apparent reason, mm. then I would start to feel into your body and see if the energy is ebbing. Mm. Um, you know, if things that you used to do happily are now pissing the living shit out of you, mm-hmm. see if the energy is ebbing. Does it have to go to that extreme or do you think that's when you're not paying attention? I think that when you're not paying attention, it goes to the extreme of you acting out and not understanding why you're acting out. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of the ebb and flow, I think Mm -hmm. that it does go to that extreme. Beautiful. You know, I I think that like, just like the moon, we go from dark to full to dark again. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of us, you know, some of us um, live in the Northern climes and some of us live near the equator in terms of our personality. Like some people, you know, they have huge (laughs) swings, Mm -hmm. right? And some people have more like gentle roles. And that's our individual chemistry, our individual astrology, our individual makeup on a zillion different levels. And whoever you are is who you are and you're good. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're a person who rolls big, then you, you need to know that about yourself. Mm. That's helpful. Uh, That's a helpful way to say that, Mm -hmm. you know, right. Like for me, I live close to Antarctica. (laughs) The Northern (laughs) lights are glorious. And then it's sunny all day, (laughs) you know, like the swings are, are really big when I'm done, I'm done. Mm. Um, And there are places in my life where I have chosen to consciously override that I'm done thing. Like, like for instance, I could have ended my marriage 17 times, mm-hmm. um, you know, because there are those cycles. And, I, and so I've had to say to myself, okay, do you want a long, you know, do you want a, that kind of long-term sense of getting to know the ground of someone else? Mm. Because if you do, you have to live through all of your cycles on that ground. 
and and that's a decision that I that you know that I consciously made. Um, but with work, I made the other decision, which is, you know, when it's done, it's done. Mm-hmm. And I, like, when I when I get to the point where I have gone as deep as I can and learned as much as I can, and I'm ready for the next challenge, I give my, I give myself that. And for me, it's a gift. I know for some people, like some people are changes really, really hard mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like a gift. For me, I'm giving myself a gift, allowing myself to move on to the next thing. So how did writing a book come to be? <laughs> so, okay. So this is actually fun because um, I've always written. I've written since I was, I don't know eight, nine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I used to joke that I was a writer without a story. I I read a lot of fiction. Um, In fact, I pretty much, I I am learning disabled and I didn't start reading until pretty late in the game. Um, Like, I don't think I read a full length book until I I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, what gets me through a book is story. Mm. It, there, there has to be a, a thread of story that I'm following. I don't read nonfiction. I have some nonfiction books. I've read a chapter of them, but mm-hmm. I don't read nonfiction. So, it, so in my world, like nonfiction hardly exists. <laughs> it's, you know, if I go to the bookstore, like there are shelves and shelves and shelves. I don't even know what's on them. I don't care. Um, so in my mind, like fiction was the only possible thing that I could write because it's the only thing and that I read. So interesting, isn't ha- how life works? That's why yeah. I, I'm trying to hold this back. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I used to joke that I was a writer without a story because I really didn't have that sense of like, here's this story arc and here are these characters emerging that I, I need to express. Um, so I had a blog. I kept a blog pretty religiously for about mm-hmm. a decade, maybe more than a decade. Um, and one day I got uh, an email out of the blue from a, a woman named Rosemary Gladstar. And for those of you in the herbal world, Rosemary Gladstar is like the queen of the herbalist. She's everyone's herbal great grandmother at mm-hmm. this point. Um, and it was this short little email and I didn't know that she read my blog. I had no idea where this email came from. Which is it, really huge, let's just say. I mean, when you, <laughs> you know, I, let's, you know, let's call it as it is. Go ahead. So it was, okay, here's the thing you have to understand about Rosemary. Rosemary calls everyone sweetie. And in my mind, I don't know if this is true. In my mind, I have decided that Rosemary knows no one's name. That she calls everyone sweetie. Like that's, you know, like just her endearment for everyone because she loves everyone and um, she, she really is like a little forest fairy. So, so the email was like, sweetie, have you ever thought about writing a book? Hmm. I think maybe you should. Here's the name of my editor, Love Rosemary. And this just dumps into my inbox, apropos mm-hmm. of nothing. You know, like now that I'm in this world a little bit, I suspect that what happened was um, her editor was looking for some fresh blood and said, Rosemary, can you think of some people who, you know, might write an herb book? And she sent out some emails. That's probably what happened. It. Let's be honest, it might be what happened, but it doesn't diminish 
in the cross section, right? Because it's like when people talk about infinite possibility, you, you can hear people say, well, you know, there's infinite possibilities. There's infinite possibilities. And sometimes that can feel like a very uh, unreachable statement. But it's like the cross section of like practicality and magic, right? Like you're Absolutely. like, what? Me write a book. And it's like, it doesn't diminish that it landed because you were still transmitting like a resonance that you might be a good fit. Well, right? and I was also transformed by receiving the email, right? Like all of a sudden a new box of possibilities opened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you're sharing both the practicality, but it doesn't diminish the magic because when we, sometimes I've noticed when we, tell stories I'm not saying you're doing this but we can be like oh yeah and you know oh oh yeah when I did that but that was 15 years ago and the listener like might be like yeah but that's where I am now like what do you mean you got that email you know (laughs) how did that happen and it's like well it just happened and that's the truth of it and it it could be like you said a very practical inspiration but still it was transformative it was absolutely transformative. And I, and I did what we often do when something hugely transformative happens. I buried that shit at the bottom of my inbox. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I really like let it go to kind of the bottom of my, of my subconscious as well. Like I, I kind of almost forgot about it. Because mm-hmm. it was it too was, big? It was too big and too strange and I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in a program called the beautiful writers group. And at that point it was led by um, two women, Mm -hmm. a woman named Linda Syvertson and Danielle Laporte. And they did these, you know, live calls where you could ask a question. And so just, I don't know, it was one of those, like, I didn't intend to do it, but there we were and there was a lull and nobody was asking a question. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, what do you do when someone gives you the name of an editor? And I I remember Danielle said, Linda, I've got this one. And she, she was like, when someone gives you the name of an editor, that is gold. Mm -hmm. She said, you pull the car over and you dial. And I was like, but and she's like, no, no buts. Next question. <laughs> and it was the kick in the ass that I really needed. Um, and you were in a group about writing while you weren't going to write a book and the email came in that you should write a book. Yes? Yeah. Well, I was, ah. writing, my, I was writing the blog. And so I was in the group not because mm, I, I wasn't okay. thinking about that. I was in the group because um, I wanted to write – really amazing blog posts and Danielle Laporte writes very amazing blog posts she does and would that not also be in the category of like if you're inspired to do something you don't need not that it has to lead but I I find this fascinating because it touches on so many um steps that happen like the book didn't have to happen for you to, to increase your experience in that group is what I'm hearing it was a fantastic experience yes being yes. in that yeah yeah yep. and and yet when 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 people say, you know, don't worry about the how it's like, you weren't worrying about the how that wasn't your destination, but there were places in life because you were listening to yourself. I guess that's what I'm hearing. Like you wanted to do that. That's listening. Listening doesn't have to always be this like jumping off of a cliff situation. It's like you wanted to write better blog posts that felt like a good fit and you listened to yourself. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, so much of the time, like when we get focused on some huge end destination, Mm -hmm. Like, okay, there, there are 
journeys that we take in our life that are planned that way. Just like there are trips that are planned that way, right? Where you're like, you know what? I'm going to Machu Picchu. There are certain steps I have to take to get there. Mm-hmm. I am going to be vice president of this corporation. There are steps I need to take to get there. Like there are times in our life when we do that, when we kind of carefully plot our course on a map. Mm-hmm. But I have found that a lot of the things that are truly transformative are the things that aren't that well plotted, right? That are, mm-hmm. that are the, I'm taking a year off and now I had a dream and now I'm doing an Ulta Vista search to match my dream with my list, my physical, my possible physical reality, you know, and that just kind of, I think of it as pulling the handkerchiefs. If you've ever seen a magician, like pulling the handkerchiefs out of a, out of a hat or out of their hand, and you don't know what color is coming next, but you do mm-hmm. know another handkerchief's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden at the end, poof, there's a dove. Beautiful. Uh, right? So I feel like we, we don't always um, know what the final destination is. I mean, like this is still a story in, pro- in progress. Um, I, I still don't know what the final destination is. How was it to write the first book? So the first book was relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, even I just want to back up a second because I do mm-hmm. feel like sometimes obstacles in the path can, can really shut people down. And so I just want to share kind of that mo- from, from that moment of my phone call with Danielle to that first book, I reached out on Facebook to the editor whose name I'd been given by mm-hmm. Rosemary. And we started a dialogue, but I still didn't have a book. You know, like I reached out blind, just like, hi, Rosemary said to reach out to you, but I don't have a book. <laughs> and she was lovely. She was like, well, what do you, you know, what do you do? What do you write? <laughs> and she checked out my blog and then she said, well, you know, let's just keep talking and see if you get to a book. Let's mm. see if opening this door mm-hmm. gets you from point A to point B. And so the, you know, the conversation began and I pitched, oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight books. Mm. You know, what they were really looking for was like herbal how-to books, which I was not interested in. Sure. I could tell that. I, yeah. <laughs> but you kept going. But I kept going. I kept pitching things. Like I, I have a number of those pitches. I'm, I actually sometimes look back at them and think, hmm, is there anything in here for sure. you know, moving mm-hmm. forward? Um, so I kept going. And then we finally landed on this idea of an Oracle card deck with plants, mm-hmm. which I, there are a lot of them now, but there weren't at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got excited and they got excited. And um, I got a call about, oh, I don't know, a month, six weeks after we started investigating this. Um, we're really sorry, Maya, this isn't going to work. Oh. And, and we were pretty, like, we were pretty far in at that point. And um, I said, why? And they said, well, at the bookstore, there's a separate buyer for Oracle cards and decks. And, and they didn't know this because they've never done anything like that before. And they thought that they could just take this deck to their normal book buyers and that they could sell it. And they realized that they couldn't. And so they didn't want to produce something that they didn't know how to sell. 
So the project died. And then I was at um, an, an herbal conference and I ran into um, this editor who at that point had been promoted. She was now the publisher, which is like the CEO of the publishing house. And I said to her, Deborah, what, you know, I can't believe this project is dead. It's such a good little project. Um, and she's like, yeah, you know, we can't figure out how to make it happen. And I said, well, what if it's not a deck? What if it's a book? And we just kind of looked at each other and she's like, that would work. Um, and so that's like, that's how we moved into this. And I was actually very against, if you, if you have my books, you know, there's like these little cards in the back in an envelope. I was just going to say, this is I so was, fascinating, the story, because I do have the first one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I was so against those cards being put in there. I was like, people are not going to like those cards. People who use cards use like big, heavy mm. stock cards. Those are going to just feel flimsy and stupid and, um, and, you know, I was like the die cut thing. Nobody wants die cut cards. Like, you know, you pop them out with a, um, and they, they were like, we are going to do these on as heavy stock as we can with as tiny little perforations as we can. And they pretty much were like, we're doing it. <laughs> I was like, you know, there's a thing that happens with, with books where, you know, you go from being a sole creator to being in collaboration with a team. Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of things about those books that were not the way I would have done it. Um, and yet there they are totally mm -hmm. successful. Um, so yeah, it was not a direct path from point A to point B. Um, it was efforting and persistence, uh, and the willingness to like, be like, okay, the front door just closed in my face. So I'm hiking around the back of the house and looking for a window or mm -hmm. a back door or something like there's, there's gotta be another way in. And not only was there another way in, but then there was two more books. Three. Yeah. And yeah. And third yeah. book coming out in October. And Our fourth the, book. Third fourth. book from the first. So the, the book that's coming out, in, you're writing now. Yes. Okay. So the book that's coming out in October is the final book in that first series. Yes. Because I know and, there's no way to turn around, but you are writing now as well. So as the, for yes. the listener, okay, go ahead. So yes. you have a book okay, coming out. So. Mm -hmm. So the fourth book is coming out. The fourth book I've ever written is coming out in October. It's the final book with this publishing house mm -hmm. um, and the final book in this series. And it's, it's the wheel of the year. It's based on the wheel of the year. And that idea of, you know, you go from seeding an idea, se seeding yourself, growing it, fruiting, flowering, and going back to dust <laughs> and starting mm -hmm. again. So it really walks you through that cycle. Then I'm, I have a, a new publishing house now, but there's That's a big lag with publishing, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, I have another book that is complete. It is being like, it's in their hands being doing all those zhuzhi things mm -hmm. um, that comes out next year. And I don't think I'm allowed to release the title yet. Otherwise no I will tell y'all. Mm -hmm. But I'm super excited about that one. It is a history of mysticism and philosophy, mm -hmm. but it's told by a fictional character. So it's kind of... Oh, fun. It's really fun. It's, it's on the borderline between fiction and nonfiction. Just like you, right? Just like, like me. Mystery, <laughs> practical <laughs> and, and mystery. Well, it's really a... Call, I mean, I don't know. I haven't read it. So it's actually nicer to say this without reading it. But for the journey we've just walked on, hasn't that oh, it's sort of been the line, you know, when you were doing client work and working with in the medicine and then also the story of the plants, right? So, so now the, the latest creation really is holding, not that the other ones don't, but that's really fun. 
Yeah. It's really fun. I'm super excited about it. Um, it's like, it's honestly, it's, if you're a person who read Harry Potter and like, I realize at this point there's, there are issues with JK Rowling's, but let's ignore that and just sure. think about mm-hmm. the books themselves that, you know, many of us enjoyed loved. Yes. Um, if you're a person who kind of wanted to go to Hogwarts, like not just to imagine stories that happened at Hogwarts, but like, what the heck were they teaching there? Mm-hmm. This book is, this book is that. Um, so I'm super excited about that. That is already out of my hands. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a deal for the book after that, which is a memoir. Oh, um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a memoir of um, the, t- the time, like right before I went to Ireland. It goes into Ireland a little bit, but it's really about um, how adding ritual into your life can replace some of those like things that might not have worked for you as a child like religion you know some of these like some of these empty spaces that get hollowed out within us Mm -hmm. because of things that that didn't quite work that were kind of part of our cultural inheritance and and how you can fill those empty spaces um so that book comes out 2023 (laughs) and you're also offering retreats or there's a seed there's a seed for working with writers yeah so um I moved on to a gorgeous 25 acre property in the mountains of North Carolina um and this year um I'm I'm cleaning up some like pre-COVID I had retreats plan that the numbers had to be like cut so that, you know, we were Mm -hmm. at small enough numbers to be COVID Mm -hmm. safe. So Mm -hmm. I have people who are are coming on retreat who have been signed up for years for my, my deep magic retreats, which I've been doing for a very long time. Um, But I'm wrapping up witch camp, which is my like usual online October offering. And I'm wrapping up those deep magic retreats this year. And next year I am focusing on, um, my own writing life and encouraging other people's writing life. And so I'll be inviting small groups, probably two to four people Mm -hmm. um, to, to be here with me for a friend of mine said, you know, it's more a residency than a retreat to be be here with me for, Mm -hmm. for a number of days where the focus is on doing your own writing. You know, we'll gather in the evening, share work. I will be available for individual consults and things like that. Um, but I want to give people time and space on the land to really dive into their creative work. I mean, the truth is for most writers, the problem is not the writing or the story. The problem is creating the time and the space for the writing and the story. It's true. There, ha- there comes a point if, it, if the thing is going to come to fruition, you have to completely submerge. Yeah. 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 And, and the truth is, you know, I, I find once for myself, once I completely submerge, mm-hmm then I'm good. You know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. if I go on a a writing retreat for three or four days and I have that time for the story to kind of like anchor within me, Mm -hmm. then I can go back to my busy life and I'm excited and I wake up going, Oh, I want to do that. And so I, I create the space. Right. You know, um, it's taken root. 
to, yes. to, to pull from your. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yep. that's a great way to, to, to say it. So it's, you know, I want to give other people a chance to root their stories. It's mm. a good line. <sighs> We'll save it for the. So you're you are available to um, to someone who is curious about your life work. They'll be able to walk a little bit of the circle of your story next year. That'll be in their hands. And your if you're came to this podcast because you are. Um, a friend of the herbiary, the herbiary is walking forward with, with Andrew. So yes. you're learning of all of these places to, to let go and, and let emerge, which I think is, is very much what's upon us right now to let go and let the next thing emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's where the growth edge is, you mm-hmm. know? And I think there, I think there are people approach life differently, but for me, the whole thing becomes pretty darn boring if I'm not pushing the next growth edge. That's where, that's where the juice and the joy and the excitement is. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for making the time to share your story with us and to do it in a cadence that is inviting and, and honest. I oh. appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. I I always hope that these little tidbits inspire somebody else to step into their dream. Even if you don't know what your dream is, just pull the next handkerchief. See what color it is. Keep pulling. Eventually you get to the dove. That's right. Eventually she's there waiting for you. That's absolutely true. Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for listening to Rebirth. Stay connected and learn more at katebratton.com and join the Golden Thread, a space to inspire the everyday creative.